taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Today's verse for the Bellator Christie Podcast comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 14, reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those He favors. This is the Word of God. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelyn. I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Well, hello, everyone, and Merry Christmas to you from Bellator Christie. We thank you for listening and being along with us. And uh, it's it's been a wonderful time for us to be able to to spend this with you and, and to share this time with you. We just enjoy every bit of it. Well, let's welcome the man that likes candy canes even after Christmas, Brian Chilton. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Curtis, uh, I, I got to mention something to you and, and to our uh, to our listeners as well. I was looking back at our uh, podcasts and noticed that uh, you've been on the Bellator Christie podcast now for just over a year. And uh, for your anniversary uh, with the Bellator Christie podcast, I just kind of wanted to pick your brain to see uh, what what is uh, maybe some of your best moments or uh, what maybe some of your some of your like your favorite podcast. Uh, what would you <laughs> say your favorite podcast or favorite moments uh, of this past year's been? Well, we've had we've had so many. We've had such a great time doing it, and I've. I've been blessed um, by being on here and, and being able to hear some of the interviews and some of the people we've been able to to be engaged with and talk with and 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 just the thoughts and and uh, uh, some of the some of the real deep thinking aspects of of the podcasts that we've had and <laughs> um, yeah you kind of put me on the spot here but um, uh, you're welcome <laughs> um, you know. I, I guess I guess the the series that we did with the with all the omnis with the with the omniscience uh, you know with the with all of those um, really brings a new you know brings it reassures the aspect of who God is and what God is to us um, and and the depth the depth that we could go to know him and for him to know us it's it, it is just truly amazing to hear it and you know the other thing is really there's so many podcasts that we've done the historical ones where we've dug into a lot of the history and a lot of the the history of christianity and where it comes from and how it how it's been formed and you know i'll be honest with you there's nothing out there that has the amount of history that christianity does you know christianity backed with judaism it's to me it's um it's amazing to me to see how deep it goes. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, we've, yeah. we've certainly been blessed to have you on with Bellator Christie and with, and with the podcast. And as I've mentioned to you off the air, I think the uh, podcast has greatly been enriched and, and uh, made better by by you being on, on, on it. And so I just want to thank you for being with us and, and looking forward to another great year of podcasting. And I'm already excited <laughs> to see uh, what God's got in store for 2021. All right. Yeah, it's going to be fun, and I thank you. 
Thank you for the for the kind compliments there. <laughs> I doubt it's because of me that it's growing. It's because of God, you know. But, um, you know, one more podcast. I think last week's was probably one of the more fun ones I think Absolutely. I've ever had. Just just how much fun we had, just bouncing things back and forth and, and just the entertainment value that was all part of it. I thought that was pretty good. So yeah, it was good stuff. And, and God bless Eric. He he's a great guy, and uh, I haven't had a chance to talk with him except for for just a little bit of correspondence before the podcast and a little bit afterwards. But uh, what what a great guy! And you know, God's definitely got His hand on on Pastor Eric, and so I'm excited to see what God does uh, with and through him in the upcoming months and years uh, at yeah. your church, and 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 really for the kingdom of God as a whole. Yeah. It's pretty cool to see some of the stuff that's been going on. It just blows your mind. Um, even through this this COVID stuff, it's uh, man, it's been pretty amazing. But so anyway, we uh, we had the the Christmas star. Uh, what was it? Just the other day, and uh, so you want to give us a little? Because I I'll be honest with you. We didn't see any of it. We were all clouded in. So. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> I thought we were going to be as well. Uh, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing because uh, we had clear skies all day. It's, and, and here, it was supposed to peak around 510. And so uh, we were, um, you know, I was looking forward to it. Got off work. I was looking out in the sky. Looking, got my little star tracker on my phone, a little app on my phone, and was checking it out. And exactly where it was, there was a big cloud over top of it. And so I drove, I actually went, I had to pick up my son from my parents' house, and uh, I actually drove several miles south just to try to get a clearer view. I drove the long way around to get to their house, and um, I finally got to their house. I was, I'll be honest, I got in the flesh, I was irritated. (laughs) I've been talking this thing up. And then, thankfully, I got my son. I went out there with my parents. We got the Star Tracker out, and we were actually able to see it. Um, mm-hmm. And in reality, even if you missed it, you can still see it even now. It, what's happening is uh, the conjunction was where the two planets got really close. And that evening, I have to say, Jupiter was shining really bright. And I don't know if it's where they were so close together or what, or the angle of the sun or what, but it was really bright uh that that evening and uh, but but it's still bright now so uh even what what's going to happen is saturn is eventually going to move farther and farther away from jupiter but i tell you the really cool thing is if you get a good pair of binoculars if you have a telescope even better but if you have a good pair of binoculars and go out and look at the uh, let me get my direction i think it's south west if i'm not mistaken well wait a minute hold on a second uh let me get my your directions here yeah, west, southwest, uh, or or due west, somewhere along that area. Just look west, and if you get like the uh, the app Star Walk, uh, that's a good app. Uh, you can get that and look up the planet Jupiter. It'll take you right to it. But you can actually still see them now. But if you put the uh, binoculars on Jupiter, you'll see Saturn right there beside it. It's still very very close. Mm. Uh, we didn't get to see it hardly at all, and and right now we got. Uh um it's kind of like it's kind of like my head it's balding right in the middle but but it's got got fog all around it so i can't see nothing except for what's straight above me so well i'm getting the same problem (laughs) (laughs) that's good so we have an announcement of a new member you want to go ahead and 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, let me just say one more thing about you talking about the balding thing. Uh, just, just, a, <laughs> just a little funny thing. I've always been told that if you your hair grows thin in the back, it means that you're a lover. If it grows thin in the front, it means you're a thinker. Well, mine's growing thin in blo- both places, so I've heard that means that you think you're a lover. So <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> what a riot! Good stuff. Well, yeah, we do have a new member uh, joining us on the Bellator Christie team, and we're excited to have her with us. Uh, we're talking about Amanda Burke. Uh, we're working to get her set up. Amanda uh, has worked with uh, the Norm Geisler Institute, uh, International Ministry, NGIM. Uh, she also works at Carolina F- uh, College of Biblical Studies, and she's the outreach coordinator of Mama Bear Apologetics, has worked for them. Uh, she uh, is also one of the interesting things about Amanda. She brings with her a great passion for the Lord and apologetics, but she also brings a new fascinating dynamic that's not only going to benefit Bellator Christie, but it's actually going to benefit the entire apologetic world. She's looking at this from a financial counselor position, so she's going to be writing some articles and hopefully even come on the podcast with us sometime in January talking about financial apologetics. And so... uh, I'm really excited to see what she does with this. I think she's she's going to also be opening up her own ministry online uh, to help out uh, ministries and churches that are, are having issues and financial problems. Uh, she's going to offer uh, financial coaching in those different aspects. So I'm really excited to see what the Lord does with Amanda. Uh, I'm working. I, I was talking, actually talking with her today, and I was supposed to have had her account set up at Bellator Christie, but unfortunately, this past week we had an internet crisis and was without internet for a couple of days so hopefully either uh, tonight or tomorrow we'll get her account set up and get her ready to rock and roll at bellatorchristie.com but we're excited to have her with us on board and and just looking forward to see what god does yeah it's interesting it's that's a that's a new aspect of of apologetics that uh, i guess i never really even thought of or considered and and once once you say it or start talking about it, that you know, it, it, it makes sense. It really does. Well, I, I'll be honest. Bellator Christie got its start in about 2012, and I've been in apologetics since about 2000, uh, what, 2005, 2007. This is the first I've heard of the, the aspect of uh, fin- uh, financial apologetics. And so I, th- I think it, it, she's going to approach this from an economic standpoint, and maybe even looking at uh, some of uh, the philosophy of economics and, and and certain aspects can pertaining you know the financial realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, th- I think it's going to be a very fascinating and useful. Uh, it's going to be one of those aspects of theology and apologetics that's not only good theoretically but also very good practically. Mm. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's interesting because you know you kind of think about it. Um, a lot of ministries are tied to trying to generate the money um, to be able to do ministry, but they're but they're um, kind of bound by either lease or rent payments or those kind of things, or or even trying to purchase properties and so on and so forth. And that's one thing I think we're blessed with the Cornerstone is we we are one hundred percent debt free we we so everything that we've done and that was something pastor lynn was adamant about is is 100 percent being uh financially free to be able to do god's work with whatever we needed so 
you know, if, like for example, um, we didn't go into debt when we bought the when we bought the motel to to make uh, you know temporary housing and, uh, and transitional housing um, for people. Um, we didn't do that. We we believed God and just kept pressing in and pressing in, and uh, it was it blew me away. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those. I had faith. But it was like, okay, I, I have faith that we can do this, but I have no idea how. And then all of a sudden, it was just like, you know, a check from some some random person that heard that that's what we were doing. And a, a big dollar amount shows up, and then another one, and then another one. It's like, holy buckets, how is this even happening? You know? And so it was just, it blew me away. It was crazy. And that's God. You know, when yeah. you do big things, God shows up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we have a, another we have another uh, topic we want to kind of talk on just real quick, and um, it has something to do with uh, one of one of the people that really was influential in apologetics. You want to go ahead and talk about that? Yeah. Before we get into Athanasius, uh, we're going to talk a little bit here in a moment about uh, being Christmas, about a, a classic on the incarnation of the Word of God, and kind of just go through give, skimming some details of the book and kind of talk a little bit in generalities about what he spoke on. But unfortunately, we we uh, I feel led that we this is going around the apologetic world, and so I figure we need to address this. And this is regarding Ravi Zach Arias, and this I'm reading a uh, a press release from RZIM Ministries. Uh, so this is coming straight from RZIM Ministries, and I'm just going to read the first few paragraphs. And I'd like for us to give a little bit of commentary on this as well. Uh, this is dated to, on today's date, December 23rd, 2020. It says, In August 2020, allegations of sexual misconduct were made against our founder, Ravi Zacharias. Unfortunately, Ravi had died several months before we first learned of these allegations, so we were unable to explore them with him directly. We engaged Miller and Martin PLLC to investigate these allegations while also giving them wide latitude to go wherever their investigation might lead them. We have also repeatedly stating our, stated our intention not to comment on the investigation until receiving a final report on it. However, while the investigation remains ongoing and is not expected to be completed until January or February, yesterday we received a brief interim update on the investigation we felt needed to share attached. Sadly, the interim investigation update indicates this assessment of Ravi's behavior to be true, uh, that he did engage in sexual misconduct. This misconduct is deeply troubling and wholly inconsistent with the man Ravi Zacharias presented both publicly and privately to so many over more than four decades of public ministry. We are heartbroken and at learning this, but feel it necessary to be transparent and to inform our staff, donors, and supporters at this time, even while the investigation continues. We will speak more comprehensively uh, to all concerned after the completion of the investigation. And they go on to talk about devastated for those who've suffered from Ravi's uh, misconduct and pain, and they've asked for confidentiality and anonymity, and both we and the investigators are committed to honoring their wishes. And so um, this is this is devastating news because Ravi Zacharias has uh, been instrumental in my life and ministry. But I just want to say that uh, as we hear of uh, Christian leaders who fall morally, I, th I think there's two responses we need to avoid. One is, 
is uh, the response of just completely bashing everything he's ever done good because because of the mistakes he's made. Uh, I think that's a mistake uh, because truth is truth regardless who speaks it. And so the the books and works that he has uh, that he has made uh, the the truths presented in it are still true regardless of of who wrote them. Um, it do- doesn't matter who wrote them; they're true regardless. But I think on the other hand, we don't want to we don't want to get in this mindset, which unfortunately I think some have adopted as well, of saying. Well, it's all you know. It's all false because you know people are falsely accusing other people. So this must be a false allegation too. Well, apparently, according from RZIM Ministries, I mean, the people who have the most to lose from this are saying that it's true. Um, I, th- I think we need to learn from this. I don't think we need to throw Ravi under the bus and say everything he ever did was, was awful. I don't think that's true. But at the same time, recognize the fact that he is a human being. And I think we need to understand as uh, men and women in apologetics that we all have our weak points. And I think as Curtis and I were talking about this before the podcast, for men out there, you need to have an accountability partner. A person that's not your spouse, a person that doesn't live in the same home as you, but a friend, a good friend and colleague who you give the permission to ask you the the important questions and to hold your feet to the fire. And we need other Christian men like that to hold us accountable. Christian women, you need the same thing from, from other ladies. Uh, you, you need friends out there who's going to hold you accountable. And you know, Curtis, as I was thinking about this, we were talking about this off the podcast one of the biggest heroes I have in Christianity in modern times isn't a theologian, and it's not even an apologist, mm-hmm. but it's an evangelist, Dr. Billy Graham. And I think all of us could learn a lot from Dr. Billy Graham because he took a bunch of preventative measures to try to protect himself and those in ministry with him. Uh, and, and Curtis, I think you even had a story uh, that goes along with this about how he tried to protect his ministry. Yeah, yeah. There was one time when they. Uh, I, I, this is just a story, and I, I don't. I cannot remember um, where it was, but um, I had heard that he um, had gone in such a manner um, with his uh, ministry that wherever he was going, whatever town he was going to or whatever, he had a ministry team that was with him at all times. And that ministry team was, um, w- was developed with, with other men and, and people that were there involved in every aspect of what he was doing. But in that, he had um, a man specifically that would go into his motel room and verify that the that the room was quote unquote clean or whatever, but there was a time when um, when actually some news reporters um, and I don't know exactly where they were from what they were from, but um, I could probably dig that up sometime and be able to go back to it. Uh, but but there was a news reporter that actually hired a a lady of the night. Um, to actually be planted into the room so that when Billy Graham would come it came into the room they were able to take photos um, and and basically bust him uh, for having something in there so that, that that was all planted it was all made up well the man that went in there before Billy Graham 
actually busted the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And 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 so I think it's important that that we pay attention, even though Billy Graham was a was a high profile guy, Ravi Zacharias, high profile guy. But even at even at the levels of where we're ministering to local people, just even ourselves, we got to have some way to be able to have checks and balances um, and, and allow things to be said and done. Do we put ourselves, you know, do we, do we even subconsciously not even pay attention to putting ourselves into situations um, where we might be in a questionable situation? You know, and so I think it's important that we um, we we set boundaries, we set rules in our ministries um, that that we don't um, we don't allow ourselves to be in a subpar or a questionable situation. Well, yeah, I had a pastoral mentor many years ago tell me that uh, that uh, never go into the house. Of, of a single woman uh, or, or go into a house where there's a uh, uh, husband and wife the husband's not at home and and the pastor goes into the the house with with the wife and the husband's not there he said you're asking for trouble doing those things even if you didn't do anything you're given the impression that you might have and so and he and he really emphasized moral integrity and I'm t- talking about Reverend Clay Brown I know probably the vast majority of people listening to the podcast have no clue who that guy is but but he was a um, a really wise pastor and he instilled that in my in my life at a very early age to to be very careful take preventative measures to try to protect yourself at all, you know the best you can because we have to realize and understand the fact that all of us are human all of us can fall. Ravi Zacharias fell, apparently, according to what uh, the, early, the uh, research is showing, the investigation showing. Uh, we could list a, a number of them. But let me also say this. For every Christian leader that's fallen, there are many others who haven't, like mm-hmm. Billy Graham. Uh, and the list could go on and on, like, uh, uh, I mean, Greg Laurie, he, he's another Christian pastor. Um, you, you know, the list goes on. Chuck Swindoll, uh, um, uh, Tony Evans. Uh, and again, the list goes on and on. We could list many other pastors, many other Christian theologians, apologists who haven't fallen. Uh, William Lane Craig is one, you know. So, um, so yeah, this does give us a black eye, you know, but we've got to keep pressing on and, and try to make up for it by being people of good moral integrity. Right, and we gotta we gotta remember just like what you said. It, it what he, the work that he did doesn't the the damage that has happened and the and the and the thing that he did uh, the immorality of it does not negate the work that God did through him. Exactly. Does not negate does not negate the all of the other ministries that have come out of a man birthed with a with a gift to be able to speak with such reverence and such respect to people that he drew people in um, from all around the world Um, and I think he captured their ears just by the truth that he spoke and the things that he said um, from his heart and and it was it was amazing to me to uh, watch him speak and and to listen to him quote poems from he just like pause for a minute close his eyes and almost like he was photographic memory just 
be able to recite the poem right from there. And, and to see that tells me that there was a man that had was gifted by God to be able to speak into people's lives. And it's just like David. We, we can go back and use the same same scenarios, same things. David fell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Several times. But he was mightily used by God. And, and, so, and the thing we've got to remember, too, is that, uh, you know, and, and this is to take nothing away from the victims because, you know, the people who were right. victimized, we want to pray for them, pray for their healing. We want to pray for his family. I can't imagine what his daughter and, and wife are going through right. now with the, with this with the recent news coming out. But but still, understand, we all can fall, but but there's redemption found in Christ. And uh, in reality, we all have sin. But the good news is, is we've got an advocate pleading our case before the Father. And so this doesn't make this isn't to say anything that uh, about this isn't to make anything that he did right. It's not sweeping it under the rug. It's not you know because we we've got to hold each other accountable. And when someone does wrong, we need to call about on that. And and if if these allegations are true, then yeah, he did very serious, egregious errors. Uh, in his actions, and so we, we would call that out. But at the same time, um, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get on to the topic. Uh, and uh, so let me start out with uh, Athanasius of Alexandria. Good job. So, yeah. So uh, if you don't know, folks, we 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 batted this around. I when when Brian texted me this this list of, of what we were going to talk about today, uh, Wes, I asked him, I was like, how do you say that name? <laughs> and so we tried breaking it down into the the way the dictionary would be able to say it. It was it was actually quite comical, so we all got a good giggle out of it. Which is far more difficult than it appears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually it is. Uh, so anyway, who was Athanasius? So Athanasius uh, was born in 298 A.D. and uh, lived till 373 A.D. He was born in Alexandria, Egypt, in 297, uh, which was one of the uh, which is the capital of uh, of uh, of the great intellectual learning. It was an intellectual capital. You have Athens, Rome, uh, Jerusalem, and then you have uh, Alexandria. Alexandria housed one of the largest known ancient libraries uh, with, with thousands and thousands of books. I, I can't remember. It seemed like I read somewhere that it may have had over 100,000 books or something like that. Um, but, a, but a big library there. So a very large intellectual capital. Um, it's believed that he probably witnessed cruelties of the persecution under Maximinus uh, Daza uh, and maybe even witnessed the martyrdom of Archbishop Peter on November 25th of 311. Um, the thing is that there's a lot of persecution going on in 297, 298, whatever year it was that he was born. Uh, but Christianity was declared eventually an official religion of Rome in 313. And eventually, Athanasius was was uh, was was placed. He became a Christian and and given uh, entered ministry and was given the position of a bishop um, in Alexandria. And so, Athanasius, though uh, Christianity was declared an official religion in three thirteen, but the problem was is that there was this rivalry that had developed in Christianity, and it was all based between two camps: Athanasius, his camp. Um, and Arius of Alexandria in his camp, both of them from Alexandria. 
Athanasius faced intense pressure for his stand for the full deity of Christ. Arius, his adversary, held that Christ was a created being made of similar substance or homoousios, and Athanasius held that Christ was fully God and of the same essence, homoousios, as the Father. So, again, Athanasius believed that Christ was fully divine, made of of the same essence and substance of God the Father. Arius believed that Christ was the first created being of the Father, and that he was made of similar substance of the Father. So Athanasius was exiled four times because of his beliefs. And in 325, Athanasius was instrumental in leading the charge against Arianism, which ironically is very similar to the modern-day Jehovah Witness movement of all yeah, things. I was just going to say, yeah, this sounds like a, sounds like a modern cult. And so, so the council, they, they, so what happened is, to put it in context, Constantine, he, he is the emperor. Okay, and, and he's he's made Christianity the official religion, but but Christians they had these issues they needed to work out, and so he calls the Council of Nicaea and says, "Guys, you need to work this out." Okay, I've just declared this to be the official religion of Rome, but you can't agree on this. You've got to come to some conclusion. Now, here's the interesting thing: many people think that Constantine swayed the vote, but he didn't. Ironically, Constantine had agreed with Arius. He, he was an Arian, of all things. But the council, after hearing the uh, evidence, said that Athanasius was correct and that Christ was fully divine. And by the way, in fact, we, we just had an interesting conversation with my son because he was asking about Santa Claus. And, uh, the, and, and, and he asked me, he said, is Santa Claus real? And I said, yeah, historically he was a real man, St. Nicholas of Myra. I said, well, now he doesn't—he doesn't fly, in a, you know, in a sleigh. Doesn't have reindeer. But I told him the true story of Saint Nicholas and how he helped, you know, families in need. And I told him, I said, our gift giving is done in in, uh, in recognition of his kindness, and so to share share the kindness in a similar fashion he was. And and he, and he was really impressed with the story of the real Saint Nicholas. Well, here's the interesting thing: I only bring up Saint Nicholas to say that Saint Nicholas is believed to have been at the Council of Nicaea. And he was a strong supporter of Athanasius and the full deity of Christ. (laughs) It's said that St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, got so angry at Arius that he cold-cocks Arius in the face and knocks him down. I don't know if he knocked him out or not, but he cold-cocks him. And the the Nicene Council told St. Nicholas, hey, man, you got to step out. you got to cool down. So yeah. he steps out, this legend goes, he steps out of the Council of Nicaea and was later allowed back into the council. Uh, I mean, obviously there's some controversy surrounding the story, but that's the way the story goes. So it's interesting that even Santa Claus agreed with uh, Athanasius of Alexandria that Christ is fully divine. Yeah, that's pretty impressive that uh, we find out that St. Nicholas was a brawler. Yeah, he was a brawler. Yeah. <laughs> so... Now, if correct me if I'm wrong, is is there still a good portion of that building standing in Alexandria? The reason I'm asking is because I think I remember seeing something or hearing something um, uh, in one of my one of my searches for historical evidence of, of some of this stuff that there was uh, 
there's still a good portion of that building still standing. You, you know, I really, to be honest with you, I really don't know. Uh, I really couldn't say for certainty, with any certainty. I think there may be. I think that that might be true, but I really, I really just don't know for sure. Hmm. I see. More digging. More yeah, digging. more digging. That would be something interesting to, to talk about. Maybe look that up and bring that out on our next podcast. Yeah, this, the history of Christianity, like I said, it, it it just blows me away. The depth and the and the and it always it always boils up to the top. The truth that we walk every day today. So Absolutely. From, from from when from when it first rolled out to to now, it's it's amazing to me the truth that keeps coming to the top. Yeah. So, what is the background behind? On the incarnation. So here again, Athanasius is—he's—he's uh, he's facing persecution because of his beliefs, uh, and this this thing was really heated. <laughs> this thing was really heated, and so he is—he is going to um, um, show in this book, give a defense, give an apologetic for why he holds uh, that that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. And so this this book is a classic, and, and honestly, this book is several chapters. It's a lengthy read. It's fifty-seven chapters in total, uh, so it's a pretty lengthy book. Uh, but he he spells out in a deep, systematic fashion why uh, why you should believe that Jesus is the divine Son of God, the incarnate God come in flesh, and so he really. Um, he talks about the creation of the world. He goes back to the very beginning. The creation of the world. He talks about the fall of man, the incarnation of the word. Uh, and this, so these are the themes which occupy the first part of the essay. And then Athanasius uh, sweeps on one side of the, the, the philosophical and heretical speculations. He gives their side uh, and, then, uh, and then establishes the true doctrine of creation that God, through the instrumentality of his word, brought the universe into being out of nothing. And so he's going to move systematically from this to show the fall of man and why it was necessary for Christ to have died, to have been buried and resurrected, and uh, and what this really tells us uh, about the gospel. I mean, he's laying out the gospel, but all of it comes together in this concept of the incarnation of Christ. Mm. Interesting. Fifty some chapters. Yeah, like fifty seven chapters. Now it's the good thing not, is, it's probably not two pages a chapter, though, is it? No, no. Some some of the chapters are some of the chapters are small. Some of these ancient books, they would have a chapter that may be a couple of paragraphs long, and then um, other chapters may be a lot longer than that. So his just looking, his chapters seem to be fairly decent, but it's not it's not terribly bad. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, what were some of the erroneous views that Athanasius combats? So, in, in obviously, he's going against Arianism. That's going to be one of the things. But he um, he goes back in chapter two and he brings out some concepts that he that he combats. Uh, so, for instance, uh, one of them is uh, the Epicureans. And I'm just going to read this. Who say who who against themselves idly say that there is no province over the universe, speaking contrary to clear and evident fact. 
For if, as they hold, all things came into existence spontaneously without providence, then all things would merely have existence and would be similar and without differences. So these are individuals who say the universe just sprang into existence on its own. That sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of, of, have you seen the the cross-examined little meme that they had out? It made me die laughing because it shows Jerry from Tom and Jerry the cartoon. <laughs> it's it says it says um, uh, it says uh, atheist and it, and it goes dot dot and it and it says uh, don't believe in miracles, but they believe that that everything came out of nothing. And it just <laughs> and it shows Christianity. It says Christianity or Christians dot dot and it shows. Tom or Jerry sitting there laughing like <laughs> it's like well, that's pretty simple but funny well and, and the interesting thing is like Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun so right. th- this may not have been this may not have held the sway that it does now in popular culture but the Epicureans held a similar concept uh, mm-hmm. that, that the universe just sprang into existence of its own and so it's interesting to see that Athanasius in the 300s he combated some of the similar things we're combating now. So again, as Solomon says, there's really nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. Mm. So he he goes in and he says that this is ludicrous to think that there's no providence over the universe. He says, speaking contrary to clear and evident fact, that's talking about little natural theology entered in there. He says, and, and such a distant arrangement as this continue as this argues, not a spontaneous generation, but shows that a cause preceded them sounds very much like Thomas Aquinas, and from which it is possible to apprehend the the God, the arranger and maker of all. Mm. So another one he goes against is is a, not Plato himself, but a a version of Platonism. And so he said, uh, amongst whom is Plato, one of the great among the Greeks, explained that God has made the universe out of pre-existent and uncreated matter. So he's basically saying here, uh, he, he's combating this notion that there was these, these these eternal, uncreated things that coexist with God, and so that God took these uncreated things and made things from that. And so what he says is that God created the matter out of which also all things have created have been made. And so he goes in to later say that the heretics again fashion for themselves an artificer of all things other than the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, invincing, he says, great blindness even with respect to the words they use. So for when the Lord says to the Jews, Do you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, join his wife, and then referring to the Creator, says, What therefore God has joined together, let not him put asunder. How can these men bring into creation as something independent of the Father? And so, in other words, he says that uh, um, how could this Creator be something different than, than God the Father himself? So he's basically saying that all things owe their existence to the God of all creation. Amen. Yeah. We read that in Scripture. Amen. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Pretty simple. <laughs> Pretty simple, and that, and that, that's the problem. That's the problem. Some of these guys were were taking scripture and twisting it to their own their own 
philosophical concepts or their own presuppositions, you may say. And so he's going back to Scripture to show the true nature of the issue. And so he's really biblically centered in the things that he's talking about. Yeah. You know, it's good to know that this battle that we fight is 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 not something that's that that nobody's traveled before. Like we're exactly. like we're traveling uncharted territory. We we're traveling the same thing. We just yeah. And I think that's one of the great blessings of of reading the ancient text, like on the incarnation, which is really a good Christmas book to read because um, this talks about the very reason, the very nature of the incarnation, why the incarnation was was necessary for God to do the things that He planned from from the very beginning. Mm. And so you're right; these 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 uh, battles aren't new. We're joining an illustrious panel of apologists even back from the earliest of church history mm. so i know this isn't on our list or on our questions but you in, your reading, <laughs> in your in your readings of, of aquinas how deep do you think he was influenced i think aquinas was influenced by athanasius quite a bit Okay. Uh, I don't have the exact quotes on me about how many times he quoted from Athanasius, but I think Athanasius influenced many future apologists. Um, I think Oregon influenced individuals, although he he wasn't always you know where he needed to be on certain issues. But Athanasius most certainly he influenced. In fact, he he even befriended uh, another guy later on, Basil of Caesarea. Who is another impressive, impressive apologist? Who, who, what he does is interesting. Now, Athanasius defends the eternal nature of of Christ the Son. Basil of Caesarea does the very same things, th- the same thing against the Numachians in the late three hundreds, who try to dismiss and disparage the Holy Spirit. So Basil, so Basil does for the Holy Spirit what Athanasius does for Jesus the Son. All of them arguing for the for the full Trinity of God. So here again, this notion that the the Trinity was was uh, full was uh, was, was all came down to Constantine is foolishness. It, it came through a series of investigations of the early church fathers to see what does the Scripture actually show and what mm. does it hold. Mm. Interesting, because as we dig deeper into some of this stuff, we really see some of these early writers how they look at a lot of the a lot of the scripture and how how they hold it the same value that we do. Um, but you know, uh, I guess another question comes in to me is how do they view end times then? That's a good question, and I think we probably need to, to uh, do a podcast on the different theories of the end times really soon because I know uh, th- there's a popular apologist who recently was talking about a, um, uh, an end time theory uh, that, that we probably need to discuss. By and large, most all, from what I can tell, most all of the earliest, and I'm talking about prior to Augustine, most all of them were were premillennialists. Uh, they 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 held to a literal thousand year reign that that uh, of Christ, and so mm-hmm. that Christ would return, establish a kingdom for a period of time, leading into etern- eternal eternity. Uh, there's some question about August Augustine. He may have been an amillennialist. 
but I don't really think post-millennialism came, comes along until later, in, way later in church history. Um, Augustine could have been a non-millennialist, but the jury's out on that. Uh, there's some that would argue that he still holds some uh, pre-millennial notions, but I, th- I kind of tend to believe that he probably was a non-millennialist. Mm-hmm. But uh, by and large, the vast majority of uh, the early church fathers, and even until many years after the fact, were were the majority of them were pre- were premillennialists in their belief. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I mean, where, where does me, the where does the coming of Christ come? Where does the rapture come? And all of that, you right. know, that is another aspect. Some would argue that most of them are historic premillennialists, which would be post post trib pre meal. Uh, mm. But there are some that make me believe that they may be pre trib. Um, but here again, that that may be another podcast. Sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna run out of time on this one, and we're only at four. So, oh wow, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Did you have another quick question you were going to ask on that though? Nope, no, no. We'll just move on. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes, I, yes, I do, but I, we'll save that for another podcast <laughs> okay. if I remember the question. So, uh, so, um, so, what was Athanasius' true doctrine of creation? Well, just to to really simplify this, I do want to read one quote from him. He says, uh, For God is good, or rather is himself the fount of goodness, but in one who is good, a grudging spirit is impossible with respect to anything, whence grudging existence to none. He made all things out of nothing through, through his own word, our Lord Jesus Christ. So essentially, he shows that God is the fount of goodness. He's the absolute good. Goodness comes from God. And he says that all of creation was developed from ex nihilo, from nothing. God created everything. Now, Basil of Caesarea is going to come up with an interesting theory. He would hold that there are these... Um, Platonic entities uh, that the Father may have created uh, that he, but it didn't, it wasn't coexistent with him. That he may have created these things as the blueprint, and then Jesus the Son took those blueprints and brought things into being from that. Um, again, that may be a good thing for dish, for for another podcast, but it's a very fascinating concept that Basil uh, talks about because mm. you see the Father creating all things, but yet in Colossians you see the Son creating things. So that's how he works that out. The Father created the blueprints, developed the stuff for Jesus to bring into reality. Uh, it's an interesting thing to consider. Mm. Uh, that's going to be a big rabbit hole. Yeah. So. <laughs> Number five, what was the problem leading to the need for an incarnation? So so here, just just to summarize, and if, if you were following along, if, if you want to follow along in his book, this would be chapters four through seven. Uh, he talks about the doctrine of the fall. Uh, and he basically goes through classic Christian theology here. Talks about how man sinned, uh, humanity sinned, uh, the, the the sad state of affairs that one finds after the fall. That sin has infiltrated uh, all things. Um, 
for instance, he says here, For indeed in their trespasses men had not kept within any defined bounds, but gradually going further, transcended all limits, having in the beginning been inventors of wickedness, and provoked against themselves death and corruption, while afterwards having turned aside to unrighteousness, and exceeding all lawlessness, and stopping at no, no one evil, but continually devising all kinds of new sins, they've become insatiable in sinning. So we can't save ourselves because Athanasius says we're constantly devising new ways to do evil. And it's interesting because, you know, due to the, the announcement we, we read from RZIM, this is the natural state of humanity that, uh, that by our own sinful flesh, we're going to choose the bad. We're going to choose the evil to satisfy our own desires. It only comes by the spiritual manifestation of the Spirit working in our lives that our desires are changed and transformed. And even then, we have to constantly be uh, in tune with Christ because otherwise we'll fall if we're not. Hmm. Interesting. And so into chapter 8, how does Athanasius describe the Incarnation? So he says, um, For this purpose then the incorporeal, and I'm just going to read some of what he says here, uh, the incorporeal and incorruptible and immaterial Word of God came into our region, not, however, being far from it before. For no part of creation has been left without him, but he has filled all things everywhere while present with his own Father. So he basically he leaves the throne of heaven and he goes down to say, For he did not will simply to become embodied or merely to appear, for he might, if he willed simply to appear, as well have made it a divine manifestation through other a more excellent method. But he took our body, and not simply so, but from a spotless, stainless virgin, knowing not a man, a body pure and, and untarnished, and so becoming himself mighty and artificer of the universe, he prepares us in the, uh, in the body as a temple for himself and personally appropriates this in an instrument being made known in it and dwelling in it. So this divine God from all creation who developed all things became part of the very creation that he himself made. Mm. Wow. Deep stuff. That's- yeah, and who in their right mind would dare say that people in the three hundreds were big dummies? <laughs> well, like we said before, and I don't remember which podcast it was, but these guys didn't have the the stuff that we have today. They had to memorize things. Exactly. They didn't. They didn't exactly have just books on bookshelves to be able to go back to. They had to actually think deeply and memorize some of the stuff, and that's that's the part that blows me away. So yeah, a lot of the scripture may be quoted from memory, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, what are some of the results that Athanasius attributes to the incarnation? So this is a lengthy part of the of the uh, of the book, and I, and I won't go through all of it. But basically, he shows how sin has impacted every single dynamic of creation, has impacted the the, mm. the moral depraved nature. Of man, and so there's no way that people can save themselves. Uh, there's, there just isn't. And and to give you kind of a summary, uh, see if I can find a good little paragraph to read here, a little good little section. Um, 
He says, so we've now treated in part as far as possible, and we ourselves have been able to understand the cause of his bodily manifestation, that it was part of none other than the change the corruptible into incorruption than the, than the Savior himself who was in the beginning made all things out of nothing, and so it all belongs to him. But since what was due from all must needs be paid, for it was due that all should die, as I said before, for this reason specially he dwelt among us to this end, after the proof of his Godhead from all works, he then offered up the sacrifice also on behalf of all, surrendering his own temple to death in place of all. So we couldn't save ourselves, so it took a drastic measure for people to be saved. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so I would love to be able to dig, uh, dig into that a little bit deeper, maybe sometime. But oh, we're going to have a whole bunch of podcasts coming out of just this one, this one podcast here. So, and, and I tell you, this this book deserve, it deserves a series of podcasts because there's a mm. lot in this book. Mm. So, according to Athanasius, why did Christ die? So he says, uh, let me just read a little little passage here again. Certainly we, the faithful in Christ, after that the common Savior of all died on our behalf, now no longer abide in death as of old in accordance with the threat of the law, for this condemnation has ceased, but henceforth corruption ceasing and is made to varnish by the grace of the resurrection, we are now dissolved according to the mortal nature of the body at the time which God has appointed for each, that we may obtain a better resurrection. So Christ died for our sins, to allow us to, um, he allowed himself to, he says in chapter 22, he died at the hands of others. Um, so the resur- so oh, there's a good point here. Let me see if I can find it. Um, the Savior came not to accomplish his own death, but that, uh, that of mankind, which he laid not aside his body by a private death, because he said he could have easily died privately, but received it at the hands of men in order to completely abolish it coming upon him in his own body. And he says, Next also, from the following considerations, one might reasonably see why the Lord's body had such an end. So he dies publicly. He therefore resurrects publicly as a witness to all people. And so this was a very public event, both both the crucifixion and death, and the resurrection, and all of this was necessary to, um, to, as as Athanasius says, to show forth the fact that he he took on the sins of humanity and won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess he kind of almost answered uh, the next question. Um, so why did Christ raise from the dead? Yeah, and this is some good stuff here. Uh, if he, he shows in chapter. 28 his victory over death um he says is this then the slight proof of the weakness of death or is it a small index of the victory achieved over it by the savior when youths and young maidens in christ look beyond the present life and discipline themselves to die he goes on to say that um um well he goes into some things that, that would take us deeper there than what we want to do here but um he, he goes on to say in chapter the next chapter, but if by the sign of the cross and by faith in Christ's death, death is trampled on, it would be clear truth itself being judged that it is none other than Christ himself who has exhibited trophies and victories over death, who has exhausted its strength. 
So death, formerly strong, is now an object of terror at the hands of Christ because he has vanquished the power of death. He has taken the sting out of death because he he came in creation, the very creation he made. He defeated sin. He's now defeated death. And he has uh, proved this all by the, the public display of his power and works through the resurrection. And he says, um, let's see, let me see here. There's a good thing. Uh, you know, that'll that'll never get old hearing that. Oh, no, no. <laughs> never get old. <laughs> he goes on to say here, let me just read a couple of sentences. And again, I'm trying to summarize a lot of good stuff here. He says in chapter 30, uh, if death was brought to naught, as the argument showed, and all trample upon it because of Christ, much more did he himself first trample upon it in his own body and bring it to naught. Now death, having been slain by him, death was died, death died because of Christ. What remained but for his body to be raised and for it to be exhibited as a trophy against it. So Christ's resurrected body is a trophy that he has himself defeated death. That's what Athanasius says. And he goes on to say, For if it is true that one who is dead can affect nothing, but his influence only lasts to the tomb, and thenceforth ceases, deeds and actions affecting men belonging only to the living, then let who will see and be judged acknowledging the truth from what is seen. So this is why not only did he defeat death, but he's seen over a course of, what, 40 days? seen by a multitude of people. And Athanasius seems to suggest the same thing I kind of always held, that Christ went back to business as normal for a period of time. Maybe going back healing people for all we know. We, we don't know. He may, right. But he was doing these works, illustrate, illustrating the fact that he had defeated death, hell, and the grave. Hmm. Impressive. Yeah. So on the, on the Incarnation contains a statement that often startles its readers. What did Athanasius mean by Christ came, became man, that man could become God? Well, let me find it here. Because um, that, that that's, that's, sounds like a little, uh, I don't want to say blasphemous, but pretty close. It, it, it does. It's, it's, it sounds like that at first until it's put into its proper context. So let me let me read this uh, in, in its... Um, well, let me go back and read the paragraph before, just a few sentences there. It says, As then, if anyone wished to see God who is invisible by nature and by no means seen, and invisible doesn't mean he doesn't exist. He has not made himself um, visually apparent to us for our own protection, not for his. So, um, and there's there's a lot we can say there. So, as then, if anyone wished to see God, who is invisible by nature, but by no means seen, he may come to know and apprehend him from his works. So let him who does not see Christ with his understanding, yet from his bodily works apprehend him, and test them whether they be man's or God's. And if they be human, let him deride it. While if they are not, are not human but divine, let him recognize it and not laugh at matters which are not open to derision. Now, he goes on to say, For if he became man, that we might be made God. Okay, there's a footnote here. 
Let me let me let me read the footnote after I uh, uh, read the passage. For if he became man, that we might be made God, and if he manifested himself through the body, that we might take cognizance of his invisible Father, and he underwent insult at the hands of men, that we might inherit immortality. For he himself was nothing injured, being impassable and incorruptible, and very word of God. But he was taking care and preserving in his own impassibility the men who were suffering. So the footnote here says, The strong expression is not an uncommon one in Athanasius' writings. Arnaeus also speaks of Christ raising again humanity unto God by his incarnation. And Clement of Alexandria, he who was God became man that we might become God. And Origen has the same thought from Christ began the union of the divine with the human nature in order that the human might, by communion with the divine, might be raised to the divine. I don't think here he is talking that we become God. I don't think that's what he's intending. Um he he obviously throughout this book has made a clear assessment showing that he believes that God is original and unique, that there's no one like him, that he created all things uh, from 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 nothingness, and he he's illustrated the fact that humans uh, have are full of sin and that we continuously do wickedness. I think he is talking about the fact that that God became man to allow us to be glorified so that we could see God. And so when he's talking about we may become God, he's talking about the fact that we become, you may even want to say divine beings as such, like you may call angels divine beings, not that they're, not that they're God, but heavenly beings. That may be, even better, be a better word. They become heavenly beings. So, God, being a heavenly being, became man so that man could become a heavenly being and have communion with God. Essentially, that's what he means. If you take the entire book in a context, and if you take the, that uh, passage in the context of the entire thing. So he obviously does not believe that uh, people become God, but that we become heavenly beings so that we can commune with God. Hmm. And that, that's interesting. Um, and, you know, I wonder I wonder how many times that's pulled out of context of what was wrote and then Athanasius being discounted of, of as far as being a, a true apologist for Christ. Yeah, I th- I th- well, and I think most people recognize and understand because of the, the mark that he made in history that Athanasius is a solid scholar that needs to be taken seriously. People need to listen to Athanasius because many times he was standing alone and he was standing for the truth even when he was in a minority. Mm. And boy, is that not a lesson we need to learn in, right. in modern times as well. I mean, he was right. persecuted. He, he was exiled four times even uh, for standing because of his stand for truth. So he is definitely a hero of the faith. And, he, and, and even uh, he's been called by some as the black dwarf because he was dark-skinned and was a very small frame. But he was still a man of God. And and uh, no matter how... It also shows no matter how tall or short you are, uh, it doesn't matter the, the physical stature of a person. It right. matters the stature of one's spirit. You know, right. and um, and he had a true heart for God, but yeah, I do think some people may read this and they may um, 
they may cast doubt on, on what Athanasius wrote. And I think that shows us uh, the real reason why we need to take things in context and really seek to understand what the author is trying to say. Sure. Sure. So, why should believers read Athanasius's On the Incarnation of the Word of God? Perhaps a better question is, why wouldn't you want to read <laughs> Athanasius's book on well, the Incarnation? Well, because it's 54 chapters, that's why. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I mean, you know. If you said 54 pages, I'd be in, but 54 chapters. Well, and, and to put this in context, it's, it's, it's 50, what, 50, uh, yeah, 50, 55, 56 chapters, something like that. And But if you look at it in book form, it's only 148 pages because some of, some of these <laughs> chapters are really small. <laughs> so some of them are large and some of them are, are small. But really, you know, th- this, this should be, um, for a person who's really really um, takes their faith seriously. This this should be... I know some people have even read this as a, as a classic Christian book uh, because we're, we're celebrating the incarnation of Christ. And I think this book puts in perspective why God became one of us, why Jesus was born in the manner in which he was. I mean, we celebrate Christmas, do, but do we ever really stop and contemplate why... God needed to become one of us to do what he did. Sure. And I think Athanasius brings forth a good systematic treatment of the issues. Mm. And plus, he's a strong, staunch defender of the faith. So again, he's one we need to listen to. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I guess I guess if we look at it in, in the aspect of, of uh, you know, guys that were writing... In the in the next generation after the the right the people that were uh, involved with Christ or I guess two generations out from that um, the, the 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 writings of some of these guys that are solid solid people and solid believers you can tell that even right after we've we've actually had podcasts on it right after Christ died and and as this stories were going there were there were um stories being said about christ all over the board Mm. that were that were not um accurate and to have people like this holding solid and you can't tell me in those four times he might have been ostracized or or, uh you know blackballed out of the communities that he uh he didn't doubt what he was saying there you know uh you can't tell me that that didn't happen. Yeah, or or at the very least, wonder why God was allowing this to happen. You know, yeah. in those moments, because you know, mm-hmm. here I am standing for the truth, Lord, and I'm, I'm doing, I'm standing for what's right, but yet I'm being persecuted. But but on the other hand, I do think they had, I do think they had another notion of what it really means to suffer for Christ. Mm. Um, it's it's said that Oregon of Alexandria or Origin, however you say his name that uh, his father died as a martyr and as a young man he was running out because he wanted to die with his dad for the Christian faith and it took his mother physically restraining him from going out and dying an early death Mm. because I think so many grew up with all of this persecution they understood that Christ knew their sufferings so rather than running from persecution a lot of them ran to it because of their staunch belief 
in in the in the factuality and actuality of the Christian faith. Interesting. Just another thing that that all helps helps prove the solidarity of Christianity. Absolutely, and you're absolutely right. It, it uh, and I really believe Christians were largely united early on, and but over time, you know, there were some other philosophies and other ideas that integrated with the you know Christian worldview, and um, not all of them were, not all of them were bad. I think some of them actually strengthened some areas of the Christian faith or helped us to uh, better dissect some areas of the Christian faith. But some things uh, led to some foreign beliefs that were not part of the Christian message. And that's what you see with Arianism. And so Athanasius is calling people back to the Bible, calling people back to Jesus. What did Jesus say about these issues? And, and that's where he puts the prominence. Well, we're going to end that here. So I do want to encourage our listeners. I know it's a little late for Christmas right now, but uh, maybe even if you're having a get-together in New Year's and you want to pick something up, a late Christmas gift, Think about the layman's manual of Christian apologetics. You can pick it up off of Amazon. Oh, absolutely! But, I, I can I can vouch for that. I thought you was going to say on the incarnation. I was. Thank you, oh, sir. <laughs> it's a it's a great book. So let's pick it up. So we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us and we value that time. We we uh, we uh, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And until next time. Right and I say, so wrong, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? 
If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristi.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristi.com now and submit your question.